Welcome to Learning Minnesota, connecting people one conversation at a time. Today's guest is Jessica Sowers, school social worker for Stride Academy. Our topic today is what's good for kids. Jessica, you know what? Let's talk. But before we do, can you share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I am a school social worker at Stride, the charter school where I met Steph and yeah, it's been great. This is my fourth school year there. Um, I have my master's in social work from St. Cloud State. Um, currently working on being independently licensed in social work. Um, but yeah, I, I love working with kids. We work through with K through eight, I guess. Um, but yeah, I just kids is my kids is my passion. So I'm super excited when you asked me to to be part of this. Thank you. Thank you. And I have to say too, that um, we're super appreciative that you're able to come on during this time because with the, the whole pandemic and schools, well, for those of you who are listening and are watching, Stride Academy started off the school year in distance, the distance learning model. Um, so it wasn't um, necessary for the school to have to transition from hybrid or from in-person to hybrid or vice versa. So um, it definitely though, regardless of what the learning model is being used, it is something that has impacted everyone from students to families to staff to colleagues to all educational stakeholders in some capacity and so i would assume uh just your your work is definitely non-stop and i know it is so essential now more than ever um, that there are people like you who are accessible to others and who can share the resources and knowledge that you're learning along the way as well so yeah, thank you Okay, so for the first part really that we we are going to talk about and maybe learn and, and share some key pieces is uh, the family engagement. And so what I'm wondering from you are what are your thoughts on with this type of a school year? I mean, usually in past school years, and I think this is what a lot of this conversation is gonna revolve around is this crazy school year and I mean maybe a little bit of last school year and who knows how many future school years I dare to say it but I know. um what what have you found or what are some things that that you've done or you've seen being done in terms of family engagement and kind of getting everybody at the table to be able to talk about or work through what there is right now it's hard and I don't I guess I don't know how much you're listeners know about our school, but I think with our population and our community in general, I think it presents even another layer on top of that. Um, family engagement was always something we struggled with at Stride to begin with. Um, and I, I feel like now with this distance learning model, it's it's become even more of a challenge, but I don't know. I honestly, I have to give you a lot of credit for the things that you've been doing at our school. I think it was a piece that was missing. Um, and you kind of bring that to our, our school and just trying to connect families with the teachers and the kids with the teachers and the teachers with the teachers and just kind of like, it's this giant web right? and it's hard over a computer, but I think it's kind of opened some doors for us too. I don't know. I think there's just maybe we put in more effort now this year because we kind of feel like we have to. I don't know. It just feels different this year. It feels like families are communicating more. Um, and maybe it's because it's a little more flexible. I'm not really sure, but it feels good to me. And yes, it's hard and it still is hard. It's always going to be hard, but I don't know. I, I like to have that little yeah, bit of optimism, I suppose, because I, I do feel like we hear a lot about you know, the kids aren't showing up, the parents aren't calling, but I think at the same time, there is a little bit more than there ever has been before because this way of communicating is so flexible. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump in um, for those of you that haven't listened to previous podcasts or watched previous recordings and just alluded to she and I, um, you and I work together at Stride Academy, which is we have a large community of students and families who are Somali or Somali American. Um, and that definitely, like you, like Jess said, adds in that layer of uh, complexity for how to navigate other barriers that might be in the way. I love that. Well, thank you for um, 
<laughs> for, for sharing the work that I've been working on as well or trying to do. And, and that is, like you said, it's that web, it's that, it's that networking piece. And when I say network, I certainly don't mean professional networking, like we're all going to go on LinkedIn, but really what it is, is any sort of bridge making that can happen from all people who are involved all the way, you know, students, like we talked about stakeholders of all kinds for education. It, it's kind of like, we certainly at this time need all people, all hands on deck, all everything, just so that we can, we can journey through all of this muck. And I'm not going to say together necessarily, because everybody has their own struggles and their own things that they need to work on throughout this. But the more we allow ourselves the opportunity to, to keep communication lines open and consistent, it just seems like it it maybe alleviates some of the issues or barriers that we would have faced had we just all kind of gone through in only survival mode with only thinking about how are we going to do this or with our just our immediate classrooms. So, yeah. um, so with with you because you really you work with students, but you're also able to work with their families. Um, can you talk about a, a little bit about when you're meeting with the students? Are, are the families engaged? Are they involved during those times? Or is it just you with that student and then later the communication with the family happens? What does that look like? Um, are you, do you mean specific to distance learning or in general? Um, let's just do distance learning right now because I'm super curious about how yeah. all of these different things are, are being done in, in such a restrictive manner. Yeah, I think that was, I don't know. I, I feel like I just keep saying it's hard, it's hard, but it really is. And at the end of the day, that's, that's really all I can say. It's hard because a lot of the times I work with kids and students, you know, with struggles and problems about, you know, family and getting along with their parents, getting along with siblings, you know, and it, it's hard to do that work when they're at home. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I also see it as this opportunity to engage the parents while they're there. I mean, they can be a part of what we're working on and what we're doing now. And again, kind of a silver lining to it. You know, I never had that before. Um, I know family sessions is something they do like in therapy, but in my work in school, I don't get to bring the family in and do a family session with the kids and the parents and their siblings together. So it's kind of a little bonus, I suppose. Mm. I think it depends on the kid and the family and their situation. A lot of times parents are at work right now and aren't at home um, or the, the kid is, you know, taking care of younger siblings and it's, it's super sporadic right now. There are some where parents are right there with them and we can all chat together. And there are some when, you know, it's hard to get in touch with the parents. So it just kind of depends right now, but. Yeah. Can, I'm curious, um, are there certain resources or like key places that you always revert to with sharing things for like engaged parents and guardians to use, or like if, if it were me, if my child were um, to be visiting with you, I would, I guess, like you said, it is based on the scenario and the situation, but I would, I would hope that there are some tools or strategies that I could be equipped with so I could support that at home or even just be more in the know and better myself so mm -hmm. that it kind of eliminates some of those things. So what are some what are some things that you've shared with parents or that you've done that might help to support um, beyond the time that the kids are with you? Um, I know a big one is like that we use at school and at a lot of schools is the zones of regulation. I'm sure you've heard of it, but the zones of regulation actually has like parent letters and like parent pieces to that. Um, so I would say that one is one. Otherwise, um, I'm going to jump in though, because yeah. I've heard of zones of regulation and I yeah. think, I think I know what it is, but can you tell me just so that I can put two yeah. and two together? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the zones of regulation is basically like a social skills curriculum that kind of breaks down, you know, all these feelings, all these things you can be going through into like categories, which are kind of defined by the colors. So, you know, blue meaning moving slow, sick, sad, tired, bored, green zone is good to go, you know, happy, calm, ready to learn. Yellow is like, oh, we're kind of getting a little anxious, you know, slow down, look at what's going on. So nervous, excited, you know, whatever. And then the red zone is, you know, mad, angry, frustrated, or it can be happy feelings that are just 
too big and out of control. Um, I really try to emphasize that with kids too. Like if you're in the red zone, it doesn't mean you're mad or angry or it's not a bad thing. Maybe you're just way too excited. Your body's too busy, right? So using um, same or similar language school at home in the classroom really helps kind of solidify that for kids. And um, I think the zones of regulation does a good job of um, engaging the parents, I guess. So that would be a, a big yeah. one. I'm glad that you did share more about that because I don't know if you saw in my face, I had the yeah. aha moment. So I, yes, was, I, was, <laughs> I was with a group of second graders and I was trying to get them to understand. Um, so I attended a webinar yesterday where it reiterated the fight, flight, freeze sort of a thing when you're feeling, um, when your body is impacted and your emotions are, are at that extent. And so I was trying to um, help the students understand that emotions when you say are strong it doesn't necessarily mean that they're negative you could have really strong positive emotions and you know and so we're talking about how to recognize when they are at such a strength where you are um it's very difficult for you to be able to calm or regulate yourself so i'm i have not worked with the zones of regulation um but it, it totally fits. And it's so interesting too, that that seems like that was something that started, I don't know how many years ago, but there are, um, there are so many new curriculums, approaches, research that's coming out now that kind of identifies different ways for students, but it all comes back to having kids recognize that they need to become scientists of their own, of the, of themselves and, and really learn, okay, how do I react? What triggers me? What, what are some things that I need to, um, strategies that I can use on myself for that regulation piece? How do I name it? How do I address it? That sort of a thing. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I, I think the zones of regulation is like a good, like starting point for kids yeah. and to give them like a common language to use. Um, so I really like that one. And I, like you said, there's so many out there now that it's kind of overwhelming, but I, I just really like that one as like a good, like core understanding of. And feel- colors. I and think colors. that's, I think that's one thing that's brilliant, especially for our youngest learners is the, you know, colors just matches up really well with that um, for mm-hmm. them to be able to identify. And maybe even now too, I would go as far as to say with the inventions of uh, bitmojis and emojis yeah. <laughs> and like all of these visuals, yeah. really you, in a way you can utilize those. So um, that might be something for, and now I'm just thinking, how do I apply this in my classroom sort of a thing for, for teachers. Now mm-hmm. what we can do is start to use those things that kids and families are exposed to on a very consistent and frequent basis to use yeah. to identify how they're feeling, what their moods are, um, yeah. and that keeps and that language the same. Yeah, as a school social worker, you know, I service kids on IEPs and I fulfill their social skills goal. And I would say probably the biggest social skills goal that kids have is identifying, recognizing, labeling emotions. Like, and it seems so simple, so basic, but there's more than happy, sad, and mad. And I think that kids kind of get stuck there. And kind of teaching them, you know, all these other words for it. And the zones is really good at that. And then not only that, but then what do you do with it? You know, and it just seems so simple to adults and to people like, I always just have to remind myself that they don't know what confused means. They might not know what frustrated is and how that's different than mad. You know, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I get I know well and that's why I am too because I'm thinking our work totally overlaps because that's what I do to start with with the littles is to recognize that there is beyond those three core mad happy sad you have and I I I just learned 34,000 possible emotions I know right wait let me write that down you, um, I think you already know about uh, Mark Brackett with the yes. Yale University. So that was, that was kind of came off of um, a, a post wow. that I've been keeping up with. So I, wow. I think, so I, I'm curious now, you, you piqued my interest a little bit. So we talked about that working with kids in identifying what they're feeling, being able to um, recognize, understand, label, and I'm actually going through what's called the ruler acronym, which is yeah. Dr. Rackett. 
Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> right? So, but do you think, and maybe this is just, I, I know what the answer is going to be, but do you think that identifying the variety of emotions are really truly starting to understand the complexity of all of the emotions possible is not just a primary grade level student, but maybe just maybe can expand all the way into adulthood who like people like me have missed that learning opportunity. And I've always just thought I'm mad sappy to mad happy, sad, but <laughs> I never I can be happy too. <laughs> yes, but I've never, I've never consciously stopped and thought, how am I feeling right now? It's, it's just never been something that, you know, I've been exposed to. And so do you feel that right now, yes, it's coming more to the forefront, but maybe in addition to our little list of learners, it also should be something that adults should be practicing too. I don't think I can add my head more vigorously. I'm like, yes. yeah, I, it's funny you say that because up until I was in this job and like in the mental health, like actually in it, I, that stuff didn't exist to me, like mindfulness, like emotions, I, like all of this was like just something that, like you said, I never did for myself, but now I like catch myself. I'm like, if I'm teaching kids this stuff, Maybe I need to be more aware. Maybe I need to practice mindfulness because how can you teach kids to do this stuff if you don't believe it, if you aren't practicing it, you know? And that's what I think and feel. So yes, because even if you feel like you're the most emotionally developed adult, I don't know, there's always room for growth and learning. I'm learning something new every day. Clearly, 4,000 emotions. I didn't know that. Right. And all of the... um... (laughs) emails that keep coming through with the opportunities to learn. And it's, it's all mental health. It's all SEL. It's all emotions. And I think for some people, that's a tough pill to swallow because I do think like me, it wasn't something that I focused on. And so now it's like, why would I need to do that? But like you said, how do you, how do you, how do you allow those who you're working with to grow in that capacity? If you yourself don't model and don't do it. You can't teach something that you have not gone through yourself and feel, I don't want to say at complete mastery because I think everybody is working on it, but that you can speak firsthand to it rather than saying, you know, this is what you should do, but here you go home. And when you get frustrated, you slam doors or yell, you know, whatever it might be. Exactly. Yeah. And I I think of like uh, breathing, like as a coping skill, for example, like I don't like kids will say to me, well, that doesn't work for me. And before I would have been like, whatever, that works for everybody. But like, I've been in situations where I'm like, okay, take a breath and it doesn't work. So I'm like, I get that, you know, and breathing isn't just like a coping skill you can use all on its own. Like you use it with other things too. But I just feel like until you like experience it and try it for yourself, like I just was such an adamant, you know, like breathe, do some breathing techniques, you'll be fine, whatever. But like, after having been through those moments and realizing, well, that doesn't always work. It helps, but, you know, but until you go through some of that stuff for yourself, you know, I think relate more. I think breathing and the idea of doing deep breaths um, really surfaced as one of the key, I don't want to say like magic answers to it all because it's easy. If that makes sense. I think it's more difficult to, um, center yourself and do like a body scan or it's more like it feels like there are there are more levels and layers um to those activities where breathing mm-hmm. is like yeah. <laughs> take a breath you're fine it's okay <laughs> um so can I ask then because I, I love uh I love exploring different strategies because I agree sometimes breathing just it just doesn't do it especially if for me, if I'm in a complete state of stress or like exhaustion of some sort, breathing, sometimes it just doesn't do the trick. So what are some other things that either you have done yourself or that you've worked with kids and encouraged them to try? Oh my gosh. I, okay. This is not a plug, I swear, but I actually just got these books and these books, I don't know if you've ever like seen or heard before. It's like this new company I don't know but they have these books full of just like all these incredible like amazing like 
activities and I rant and rave about this to anyone and everyone like um a lot of it is about like kind of that same thing there are breathing techniques in here like new ones I've never heard of but like um like it'll give you a story prompt and then it will say like pick a character and then or like design your own unworry island and they get to design an island and who's there on your island with you and what do you island just like I, I don't know, things I never would have thought of in here. Like, yes, scribble on the page and then see what you can find in your scribbles. Like that kind of that stuff. That is really cool. Um, like, uh, is it just one one book that you found or is it a seat, like several? Uh-huh. And there are, <laughs> I have so many of these now and they're all like activity books. Um, there's like doing crafts, like making a worry box. Um, uh, like designing gift tags or coloring activities, drawing activities, journal prompts. Like, I don't know. I know the internet's out there, but <laughs> cool. these books. So I don't know if that answers your question, but well, like, I, I, finding stuff like that. I, so for people who are listening and or watching, um, this will be something that we are sure to reference in the resource page that accompanies these. So then we can link if people are interested in that too. Yeah, I can do that. I just don't want to like try to like. That's awesome. These books have been um, amazing. And I've already used some of them over Zoom. And a lot of them are activities you can do. Yes, there's a book and it's designed to do the activity in the book. But like, it's not to say and have a piece of paper out and do the drawing. Or, you know, it's like design your worry monster. What does it look like? How big is it? You know, just like super simple things and like kid related Um. Otherwise, I like using like the what to do when you worry too much workbook or what's the other one? What to do when your temper flares. I like I like workbooks, like activity books where it's like a variety of things, you know, yes. there's breathing in there. There's some drawing, there's some writing, just a, a mix of stuff. And you know what I love about that, too, is that, um, you know, you are using it in your role, but those those workbooks, those activities are books that can be purchased by the teacher to use, I'm thinking as a morning meeting with kids, especially if they can do it via Zoom or, you know, via the virtual, they can do it on their, in their own homes, but it can also be purchased by parents and then they can do it. It's kind of like, this is the whole gamut of, of everybody can use all of those ideas. Um, and I'm definitely a sucker for it. Like, I love the visuals that you showed. I'm like, Oh, there's, they're organized nicely. And you've got, like you said, make your own work is what island? Like a- yeah. Well, now I want to show you. It's one yes. of those pages. Um, yeah, it's called Unworry Island, and you design an island, and it has all like these writing prompts in it. Um, and it's just like it's just so good. There's a page just to scribble on. So here it is, Unworry Island. That is so cool. And so how says, how uh, open for for any? I mean for people to be able to answer, draw, write, or do yeah. in, in their own um, capacity what they if it says, What's the weather like? It doesn't have to be realistic. It's your island. What do you eat? Fruit from the trees, fish from the sea, an endless supply of ice cream. Like um, it just says, design your unworry island, a place you can imagine and visit whenever you need to, especially at bedtime if worries stop you from sleeping. So that's kind of, I guess, the purpose of it. But yeah, it just... Just that is awesome there is a place in here where they can like pick a color they get to pick the color so it you know it kind of contradicts the zones but like sad they get to pick the color sad is and then there's a chart in here where they can um color in their mood for that day and then at the end of the week you look at the chart together or okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna plug <laughs> i'm gonna plug not only that that idea or activity but just um actually that activity the idea of collecting data and I think a lot of teachers or people that work with kids aren't they don't think about how to collect emotions or how to collect you know the student mental health piece and and assess what they're looking at but by by doing activities like that and they can be super simple so they can be in the very beginning color you know the make the color of the feeling that you're feeling as long as they identify what that feeling is and then keep stick with that. So if yellow happens to be their, um, 
sad emotion, then maybe they just need to make sure that yellow continues to be the whole way through. But mm-hmm. after a period of time, you should be able to go back and look and see and be able to determine some of the, the patterns and um, think about you know why the student, why I, I'm thinking you yourself, this would be great to be able to document yeah. in the morning, every morning, every evening, and then look for those patterns. And, and then yeah. you can, once you've identified where there are patterns of times that you're not feeling your best or what you want to be feeling, that's where you focus then your energy on exploring the strategies that will help. Yeah. My cheeks hurt from smiling. I'm just yeah. like, I feel so passionately about this. I do a feeling thermometer check-in with students. So every day, um, that I see them, which might not be every day of the week, but, you know, I'll just say, what's your feeling? And then they obviously have pre-taught with them, you know, one worst day ever, 10 best day ever, five in the middle. We draw a thermometer, they get to color and decorate it. And then as the year goes on, we do exactly that. Well, what was happening on the days when you were a one? What was happening on the days you were a 10? Were there certain days of the week that you're always a one? You know, like just kind of yeah. start to look at those things and they they like it because they're like, hey, I made this, like, it's fun, like, you know, and they get really into it. But then for me, <laughs> it serves the purpose of, you know, that data and having a, a baseline kind of of where they, they started and kind of how their year progressed. And some kids who I see throughout many years, I keep all of their feelings thermometers that we can go back and look at their feelings. <laughs> My dog, I'm so sorry. <laughs> No, that's okay. So I'm going to, um, because when you talked about every time that you work with students, you do the um, thermometer and one worst day, 10 best day. So when I work with classrooms and I go in, we always do a mood meter, um, but we we don't use a thermometer instead for the K1 and 2 kids right now. I'm using the emojis and there's only three of them right now. But what I would like to do would be to be expand on those. So for you, I'm thinking that the thermometer has kind of 10 10 different levels or, or parts for the student to be able to assess where they're at. And I would love to be able to expand then those three emojis for our primary kids to, to go out even further. And then that reminds me of um, Dr. Brackett's mood meter, where we look at now, it's a grid. It's a, it's a matrix where you have to look at one of the access lines and you have to assess what is your pleasantness right now? I mean, are you feeling like you are not a pleasant person all the way in the negative quadrant? Um, you know, and or are you somebody who's super approachable and it's going to make a positive impact on somebody else's life? And then the other access is your energy level. Are you super depleted all the way up to you are ready to rock this thing? And and in that it becomes your one of four quadrants and which is funny because there are colors associated with each of these quadrants. So we've got red is high energy, low pleasantness, you know, sort of a thing. And then the yellow um, is the high energy, high pleasantness. Green is high, uh, low energy, high pleasantness. And then blue is the low energy, um, low pleasantness. So there's so many different ways but I see the opportunity for no matter what you or what level of students you serve or what capacity, you can start with the littlest ones and give them up to three choices or up to 10 as long as they understand you know, what they're looking for and what they're trying to assess in themselves. But then you can build on that. And like we said, 34,000, I don't think the mood meter quite addresses all of those, but you can work your way up to the older grade levels, being able to truly find where they're at. Yeah, I was going to say when you were talking about that, I, I like that one so much because of how many like different words there are on there, where even if they don't know what one means, well, there's your opportunity to talk about it. You know, they might see, oh, well, I, I feel like I'm somewhere in here, but what is this word? You know, and there's so many different options on there. That's what I really like about that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I think we, you and I, we've been sharing all sorts of like these fabulous ideas and kind of going, going off on our wonderful tangents, which is what, what this is all about. Um, so I'm looking at then our, our next um, bullet or our next outline is um, giving kids grace. And I think this ties in 
really actually quite nicely to what we talked about in terms of if we don't practice some of these things ourselves, I think we're going to be less likely to be able to give grace because we don't understand. For those of you that are listening and or watching, now would be a really good time to pause, process, and reflect on maybe first what it might look like to start to think about how to allow your students um, or those you serve to be able to self-analyze or self-report even what it is that they're feeling at that given time. Welcome back to Learning Minnesota, where we're talking with Jess Sowers about what kids need, or what's good for kids, I should say. Well, what kids need, I would actually venture as far as to say it. So everything that we've been sharing so far is not just for kids. It's like we all need it. And it's so crucial that we all recognize that we need it. And we, um, as much as some of us might think it's uh, soft or all of the squishies and everything else that it, it is so necessary right now for us. Um, so we're moving on to uh, talking about giving kids grace, but the really only way that we can give kids grace is, or anyone for that matter, give anyone grace is by being able to go through the motions ourselves and, and internalizing what it might be to come from a story that really has impacted our emotional and mental well-being. Um, and so tackling your impulse reactions is one thing. And I know we talked about in the first segment that recognizing that you're, that you're having a feeling and being able to accurately name that feeling and then taking the next step. And I don't, I don't want to use the word control because I think a lot of people think that when you are frustrated or angry, there are some behaviors that people might consider um, inappropriate, but it's all appropriate because it's to each their own. And so maybe not control or manage, but maybe regulate or recognizing if they want to regulate their emotions, especially for the benefit of um, making sure that it doesn't negatively impact others. So uh, Jess, you have something called three steps to emotionally supporting kids or anyone for that matter. Can you tell us more yeah. about that? Yeah, I, I wish I could take credit for this, but I can't. I learned it from a webinar. Um, who was it? Heidi Kopasnik, I think was her name. It was her webinar, but um, I was telling Steph, like I heard these three things and I'm just like, I don't know. I, I feel like I emotionally support kids and parents and teachers in my job. And I feel like I do it. I don't know. I kind of off the, off the cuff or whatever, you know, it's just something I yeah. do, but I don't know. This webinar gave like a structured way of doing it, which to me, I love structure and organization. So I grasped onto that so hard and so fast. I'm like, this is perfect. And it has helped me a lot. Um, in my work, again, like you said, with kids, with parents, with teachers, it, it's for anybody. So um, she said the three steps are empathize, validate, and empower. So empathize, meaning like, um, and I think the big part of this one too was saying that, you know, the subject is hard. So saying, oh, it must be hard to be a student right now. Not saying, oh, it must be so hard for you because then it makes it seem like it's only them, you know, so kind of normalizing it. Oh, it must be so hard to be a student. It must be so hard to be a parent right now, you know? Um, and then the validate part, um, she said only works if you really mean it. So if you don't mean it, just skip this step. So for example, like I really believe in you or you're a great student. Um, and then the empower asking an empowering question to kind of put it back on them in a sense and kind of ask where they want to go with it. So like, what's your next move? What's your approach to this? How can we approach this together? That kind of thing. So when you put it all together, you know, and she gave some great examples and I'm not great off, off the fly like that. But <laughs> I, I love that. Of it. <laughs> I love that you shared that because I, and we were just talking on the break here that I attended that second session because it was a two-part series. I just attended that last week. And I, when you just reminded me of that's what it is, I, I totally had aha moment when I saw that as well. And I learned about that. And I, I appreciate that she, that she really encouraged 
um, as you're going through that empathize that it is not naming the person or making them feel like it's only on them or it's their fault or any of those things, but it's instead detaching the emotion or the experience from the person so that it, mm -hmm. it, it's easier to name and easier to identify rather than like having them internalize it. She did say again, skip the validation if, it, if it's not genuine and if you truly don't deep down, um, you know, mean what you say. And I did, I think that final piece, the empower was where it blew my mind because I think all of us in education, um, but maybe more specifically those of us who it's, it's our, in our role to support um, others, all of us are fixers. It's like when we see there's an issue or a problem or somebody is feeling a way in a way that, you know, that they don't want to feel or that we see that they're struggling, we are so quick to try to say, what can I, like, I'm going to do this, or how about I do this? And instead, then what that does, and it, here's where I was like, well, of course, fixing or trying to support, and, and that's a good thing, but it really isn't because by stepping in, we're actually inhibiting their ability to work their self through and become more resilient. And so that part okay. for me, I was like, oh, here I've been trying to help fix things, but I'm actually hurting that person mm -hmm. and their growth in the end. And I think, I mean, yeah, anybody who's I a really, parent, yeah, doing that I for really, your kids too is like, oh, exactly. you're stopping them. Like exactly what she said, how if they don't have an answer to that empowering question, then tell them like, well, maybe you're not ready yet. You know, like it's, you can't be the, the one to do the work for them. I mean, you could help. And she mentioned too about, you know, unwanted advice is unasked for advice never helps is what she said. And that's so true. I mean, if they are asking for your help and your guidance and an answer to a specific question, yes, I'll answer and yes, I'll help. But if a kid is coming to be mad and upset and they might even not know why just yet, like just being there with them and like kind of walking yeah. with them through that, I guess. And she talked about too, how you don't ask, like, what can I do to help? Because I don't know. If somebody asked me that question, I, I don't know how to answer that. So asking those more specific questions, you know, where do we go from here? What do you need to get through this is better than what can I do to help? Yes. And I saw the difference there. And, and she, I, I love too, that she said, and it really, it helps to keep things off your plate, <laughs> you know, and, and not, not saying that you want them to be off your plate, but again, it, it helps that particular person get through it and grow and become more resilient, but it also alleviates you from having unnecessary um, influence and other things, you know, where you can attend to different. So, so empathize, yeah. validate and empower. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, I okay. Love it. So something else um, that we have listed is trust melts fear. Um, at least a little, who do I want to be versus what do I do? Can you tell more yeah. about that? Yeah. So <laughs> this was actually her again. Our two. Um, I just, I feel just like so strongly about this webinar. I tell anyone who will listen about it, but I think a big thing she said is like, when you're faced with like challenging situations in particular, I think she was referring to dealing with, you know, maybe difficult students or difficult parents asking yourself like, not, Oh my gosh, what do I do? How do I fix this? But who do I want to be in this situation? Like, do I want to be a person who has a short fuse? Do I want to be a person who has grace and understanding? You know, and I think there's a difference in who do I want to be in the situation versus what do I do? And again, just one of those aha moments for me too. So, you know, when a difficult kid comes, do I want to be the school social worker that is like, oh, well, you know, whatever, blah, 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 we'll fix this, you know, or do I want to be the school social worker that is like, let's figure this out together, you know, and ask those important questions. So again, I just, I don't know. I think kids need that. Yeah. And um, I don't remember that part, but that strikes me oh. right now thinking about what, well, and it very well could be, but it, to me, um, I, the hardest part about that 
and maybe about even the three steps as well, about all of it is when I am confronted with someone who is feeling a strong emotion, it's like it influences my emotions and strengthens or, you know, changes them. And so for me then, and I think this is, this is for all, every, all human beings, for me, stepping back and saying, who do I want to be versus what do I want to do? That's hard because when you're feeling yeah. a strong emotion, you yourself aren't thinking clearly. It's you're going yeah. into your whole body's fight, flight, or freeze, you know? So yeah. how do you, how do you actively like ask yourself that? Or how do you actively execute the three steps when you just are like, <laughs> I just want to shake somebody. Do you know what stuff? It's so funny because um, I started that book that we're doing for the onward book. And it goes back to that in that book, they say, if you are true to your values and who you are as a person, basically everything else falls into line. So if I know that one of my values is to be compassionate and understanding and calm, if I always have that in my mind, like no matter what I'm doing, then when those difficult situations come up, it's kind of second nature. And I do think it takes practice and I am not there yet. <laughs> I will tell you that. But I just think like, it's, I don't know, the more you practice that and the, I don't just, I don't know. I have no words. <laughs> and that book ties in so nice to this too, because they said, you know, as if you have those values and you hold them true and That's you integrity. can all settings, then the rest kind of falls in line. I don't know if that makes I sense. I love that. It, it, it's funny <laughs> because I think you and I both, um, so for those of you listening and watching, we are working through a, uh, a book study, I guess, a, a book circle. Um, it's Elena Aguilar's Onward, um, Cultivating Resilience, Emotional Resilience for Educators. And um, that also struck me is that when you know what your values are and you, you practice them, that is integrity and your mental health and your physical health are impacted when those two don't match up. So when things, you know, when what you value and what you are doing is they're not aligned, then you actually start to um, impact yourself in that manner, in that, uh, in the, in the negative manner. So I, I wholeheartedly yeah. agree. And I always think it's so funny how you and I pick up on very similar things from, from our learning that we're doing. Yeah. Um, and it all ties together too. Like yes. if you're to yourself and who you are as a person, as an educator, the kids pick up on that. And, and then you're like modeling that too, you know? And I think when you're with kids, it's not always about, well, this is a skill we're learning today. It can be a kid sees you in the hallway and, you know, sees you're frustrated and how you handle that. Like it's how you carry yourself and how you live and it, it all ties together. Yeah. <laughs> And I would add to, you know, giving yourself grace, uh, being human. So committing to do your best and making sure that, you know, you attempt to um, follow and, and um, be true to who you are. But you also have to understand that sometimes things happen that cause you to react in a way that doesn't align with those particular values or who you want to be. And you can't allow that to consume you, but you do need to kind of that pause process, reflect, mm -hmm. and then, and then move forward. Um, so allowing yourself grace with that too. Um, so I, I see another bullet. So we have that. Tell me about you don't have to get rid of negative beliefs. You just have to use the positive ones to energize your thoughts, emotions, behaviors, use your lightest belief. What is that about? No, that sounds crazy. I, when I was typing these bullets, I was like, well, okay, at that point, it was all fresh in my memory too. But I was like, this is perfect for working with kids. Um, she used it more in like uh, life sense, I guess, that situation. So using your lightest belief. So again, this is something that takes practice. But you know, if you have a negative thought or a negative feeling about a student, a parent, I don't really know, really anything, but trying to shift your thinking to, the lightest thought you could possibly have about that situation, if that makes any sense. So instead of like, oh gosh, I'm not good on the spot. Um, instead of uh, this kid's really bad, he's naughty, thinking, well, maybe I could be wrong. Maybe this is going on. So kind of like challenging those thoughts, if that makes any sense. So I'm going to practice 
in a in a totally applicable real world current situation uh yeah. <laughs> so the there is no excuse for this kid to not be in class they have the device they have the hot spot they have my schedule they have my link and instead of that it's I could be wrong maybe this kid's parent works the night shift and gets home and doesn't you know like sleeps and so this kid is expected to set an alarm and do what maybe adults are you know Mm -hmm. I don't know but am I doing kind of what yes okay yeah instead of like that said yeah she said um we are judgmental people it's human nature to make judgment to pass judgment but you have to then counter that with a positive thought if you're going to have your judgment have it but then try to challenge yourself and say, well, this could be the situation or, you know, well, I don't like this, but I do like this, you know, it just, again, it's so much easier to say than actually do. But I feel like we get so stuck in passing those judgments so quickly about people. And then we don't follow it up with anything else. And then we get stuck in that, well, this and that, (laughs) but you have to be the one to counter that. Like nobody else can do that for you you have to like take charge of your own thoughts, whether it's about a kid, a parent, anything, you know? So that's kind of what that piece was about. But again, this all goes back to helping kids in my mind, (laughs) kind of like you said, you know, if we work on ourselves, in turn, it's going to kind of go from there. So, so I I am, I'm already kind of processing and reflecting um, <laughs> as you're saying that because I that is a that's a brilliant idea to counter and and I'm now my brain and wheels are turning and I'm thinking what a great opportunity so our first segment really was thinking about how do we ourselves and how do we encourage our students to begin um, being more conscious of naming and recognizing how our, our moods, our feelings, our emotions, that sort of a thing. So that's one piece to that puzzle. And now we're talking about, okay, so we're recognizing that we're human. We're recognizing that there are certain things that we just, that they're innate right now in us. And that's not to say that they can't be changed, but by using like the three-step process or by conscientiously um, taking time to maybe I don't know, reflect each day or do something about those negative thoughts and then writing a counter to them or doing something in a purposeful manner. That's like those two segments or those two pieces actually align so well and they'll become super impactful. It's actually an activity I do with kids, usually older kids, but I have them write down a negative thought or belief they have. Usually it's about themselves if it's like self-esteem issues and then we counter it. And it seems so silly at first, but the more you do it, the more it kind of is like second nature. I know it doesn't always work to, you know, think happy, fluffy thoughts. I I realize that. But again, kind of like we were saying, if you never even try, if you never even give it a chance, how do you know? And so I do have kids do that actual activity. So that's awesome. I would have never thought about that, but I think I'm going to see how I can embed that into my work with both adults and, and like the little learners too. Um, Okay. So kind of moving on to the very final piece, what's good for kids, you, all of us, we're all of us when we are, and I'm not going to say when we're at our best, but when we're committed to trying to be our best, that's what kids need. Um, And so one of the things that we have in there is taking care of yourself. And we've listed several different ways. We're talking about breathing exercises. And although maybe breathing doesn't do it for everyone, um, I would go as to far as far as to say that it's not difficult to, I don't do a Google search or just think about it. I, I sit back and think, what do I enjoy? Or what do I, if I think about, do I feel a positive reaction? Or what do I smile at when I think? So it could be 
just getting outdoors and breathing some fresh air. Um, and I feel like in a way to me that feels rebellious because we're all supposed to be, you know, it's like one of those things where you're supposed to stay home, but we know that stay home doesn't mean you can't go outside just with your immediate family members or solo and allow yourself to feel the freshness of, of winter here in Minnesota. Um, but you know, and I, I color, I do the adult coloring books and I may not work my way through an entire page in one sitting, but it's one of those things where it's art therapy for me. Um, so what other things for taking care of yourself or like, what would you add in there for you are good for kids? Oh, (laughs) taking care of myself. Self-care is a big thing that again, (laughs) easier said than done, you know, but I think, gosh, maybe it was in, you do a podcast too. You do so much. (laughs) Um, but I think it was in the podcast where you talked about, or somebody talked about how just sitting on my phone, maybe is self-care and maybe it's not the best self-care, but right now in this moment, it's my self-care. Maybe I don't have time for a bubble bath and you know, whatever. Taking it where you can get it, I think is a big one, but I really like the point you have on here and kind of like we already talked about, about just being human and making mistakes and letting people see that, especially the kids, like if they see you make a mistake, well, my stapler is jammed. Am I going to throw my stapler across the room? Probably not. Am I going to open it up, see what's wrong? You know, like you just have to be the person you want them to be, I guess, role model those things. And like you always say, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. So absolutely. Um, Okay, so we are at our end. And hopefully those of you who are listening and watching are able to, or were able to grasp a ton of takeaways. Um, We'll have several links in the resource sheet uh, to accompany the recording so that you can see some of the pieces that we've referenced and get some ideas of how to easily apply this in your own capacity. Um, Jess, if anybody is interested in reaching out for either the book that you shared or to share more about um, the three steps, and like you said, you know, we can't take credit for it, but we certainly, it's one of those things where we had such a strong aha or like an attachment to it that we can share more or maybe even troubleshoot how it could be used in a person setting. How would they reach out to you? I am always on my email, even though I try not to be. So email is best. Uh, you want my email? Yep, if you can. Um, so it is J, and then my last name, Sowers, S-O-W-E-R-S, at strideacademy.org. Um, yeah, I'd say that's probably best. I'm always checking emails. So Awesome. And that also will be linked to the resource sheet um, as well for those of you who are interested in reaching out. Thanks, Jess, and thanks to all of you for taking the time to join our Learning Minnesota discussion with Jess Sowers on the topic of what's good for kids. Don't forget to visit our site, www.learningminnesota.com, for additional resources on this particular topic and more videos in our resource library. 